0: Hello and welcome to Get Birding, a guide to birdwatching and a home for stories about birds. Brought to you by me, Bird Girl, and supported by Seven Trent Water and Swarovski Optic. And I have to say, thank you everyone who responded so positively on social media about episode one. The reaction was better than I possibly could have imagined. I'm super excited because this week I've got two guests for you. We're going to be getting some tips from GP and Nature Ambassador, Dr. Amir Khan.
1: Gorgeous! He's gorgeous,
0: right? And he's going to be giving some advice that could help my first guest, Susan Kullman.
2: I'm probably more diligent in my love for the birds than I am for some other members of my family, which probably (laughs) says
0: something. Susan's a comedian, a TV presenter, a writer, and she's more than a bit obsessed with the birds outside her window.
2: They are like little superheroes.
0: Though I think you might think twice about being rescued by some of them. They always look a little bit fluffy, like they've just come in from a long night out partying. Whether they're heroes or hungover, Susan is working hard to tempt as many birds as she can into her garden. It's never a dull moment. It's like watching a television channel in my garden, and it's real. (laughs) Also here again is musician Jason Singh. He is talking to Fife Dangerfield of the band The Guillemots. Guillemots being a beautiful dark brown and white seabird. Fife will be telling Jason all about how birds influence his music.
1: It's lovely the way you talk about birdsong as music.
3: It's just a great natural orchestra, isn't it?
0: But first, I want you to come on a walk with me. In each episode of the podcast, I'm going to be recording a diary about what I'm seeing and hearing. I've never been great at writing a diary, so I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but here we go. The last few days, it's really felt like spring is finally starting to happen. The snowdrops are out, I can see the start of the daffodils... But in terms of bird news, the biggest thing has been that the birds have already started to pair up, which is crazy to me. I'd never really noticed how early it started, which I guess kind of reminds me why it's National Nest Box Week, because, you know, the birds are already on the hunt. I saw a pair of jackdaws inspecting a chimney in the village earlier today while we were on our walk. And I think that's a sure sign that they're gonna be trying to build their nest there and possibly falling down at some point. And so the notorious robin that lives in the hedge outside my window, that is the most territorial bird I've ever seen, and I watch him spend hours every day chasing other birds away from the feeders, was hanging out with another robin today, which I think he would only, or she, I think they would only ever tolerate if it was breeding season, if they're on the prowl for a mate this spring. And the most exciting news, my ravens, my local ravens have paired up. And I can see them now flying around, the two of them together all the time. Um, They bred in the local woods last year. They had a really successful brood. I think all of their young fledged in the end which was really exciting and we'd never actually had ravens breed locally before and it's so exciting because I'm sure we're going to have another really successful ravens nest this year. So there it is, patch diary number one. We'll be talking more about nesting birds and how you can put up nest boxes in today's episode but first let's meet Susan Kullman. Susan is a comedian, presenter and author She wrote the best-selling book Cheer Up Love, Adventures in Depression with the Crab of Hate, and Sunny Side Up, a story of kindness and joy, and like me, she finds joy in looking out her window and observing the lives of the birds on her feeders. When I spoke to her, she was sitting in her house in Glasgow, and I started by asking how she got into birding in the first place
2: i lived for many years in uh, a flat in tenement flats probably from the age of about 17 when i went to university to mm. just four years ago and um, people who live in flats will know this The if you want to feed the birds it depends if anyone else wants to help you know so it can be quite difficult so as soon as we moved into the house one of the first things we did was put in a bird feeder and it coincided really with me i did a radio four show with a writer and comedian called Emma Kennedy, who's a very enthusiastic birder. And she really just kind of ignited a bit of a passion in me. It it was just a coincidence of moving into a house and actually having places we could put feeders. And we just then experimented, really, with different types of feed and feeders and the position of the feeders to see what we could get in the garden. So it took a wee while But it was, it was great fun
0: trying to get different birds into the garden. So, you and your wife both birdwatch, you're both really into it, but was she as enthusiastic as you or did you sort of have to coax her into it?
2: No, I mean, it it, it was, she's obsessed. She's far more obsessed than I am, really, (laughs) genuinely. She is in charge of filling the feeders and cleaning the feeders. And she loves them. She loves those birds. Like, pa- like passionately loves those birds. And we've always wanted to have a house with a garden for these reasons. And it was just perfect that we happened to have one that the, the birds wanted to come into. So I didn't need to do any coaxing. I sometimes have to tell her <laughs> to stop feeding the birds and pay attention to me. Because if she had her way, she would just be sitting watching the birds all day. It's honestly, it's one of the greatest hobbies we've ever developed together. It's not in any way hyperbole to say loving these birds has, has changed the way I see everything. I'm probably more diligent in my love for the birds than I am for some other members of my family, which probably <laughs> says something. So it has absolutely changed, I think, the way I see a lot of things, and I'm very, very grateful. So why was it birds in particular? I think there's a certain amount of practicality But it's also the variety. You
0: know, That I don't know how many
2: different species of birds come into my garden every day, but it's never a dull moment.
0: And Susan, what food have you got out in your garden at the moment to attract all the birds in?
2: I need to take my glasses off now because they're reading glasses. (laughs) So we've got um, sunflower hearts in one, niger seeds in another. We've got some fat balls. We've got some peanuts. We've got a tray of water. We've got another tray that we put just some seed in and we've got some desperately unsuccessful flutter butter which we bought (laughs) and nobody has touched it so that's on we've got a bird feeder at the back and then we've got another one at the front with similar kind of feed in it and at the moment they're really loving the sunflower hearts that's what they're going crazy for and the fat
0: balls. (laughs) I know what you mean about the sunflower hearts because we put out so many, like literally every couple of days we're refilling those feeders. Like these birds are eating us out of house and home. Yes, my (laughs) wife
2: arrived home yesterday. I was on a phone call with literally four bags for life. And I was like, what have you been doing? And it was all bird food. (laughs) And she'd gone and stocked up. And so, I mean, it's worth it, but I think if you're going to really try and look after the birds in the garden, you do want to keep that feeder full so they know they can come back to it. So we always try, especially, it's pretty cold just now, to make sure that they know there's always food in the garden for them.
0: I definitely know what you mean, because like, I live near a really nice patch of woodland and we get a lot of birds coming down the hill to our garden every winter. And it's it's, it's the same kind of thing where we want to create a haven almost for birds to come and just gorge themselves in the winter. Do you you have any favorite birds or favorite species that you see just coming back all the time?
2: Just this morning, I haven't seen them in a while, we had some long-tailed tits in the garden and I love them. They are so beautiful, adorable, mischievous. They're gorgeous because they descend in these little packs of flying lollipops and they're just so beautiful. I love them, and I love the first time I saw a bullfinch in the garden was just incredible because of the the flash of pink on the front of the birds. I didn't know what it was because I'd never really seen one before. So I love seeing the bullfinches in the garden and the long-tailed tits. Um, But the goldfinches are beautiful as well. The little flash of gold that you see as they fly away.
0: I recently found out that a flock of goldfinch is called a charm of goldfinch. I just thought that it suited them perfectly because they're so pretty and they're so sweet. And I love goldfinch because you can hear them coming a mile away. They're like like long-tailed tits in that way. But... One of my other favourite birds in the garden is this robin that sits outside my window while I'm working and I can just see him strutting up and down the top of the hedge sort of valiantly defending his territory. Um, But they are
2: are like little superheroes. They do stand there proud as you like with their bright red breast fighting all comers. It's like the superman of the bird population. That's why I think I love them.
0: (laughs) I think what you're saying there really makes me want to ask, are you into birds because of the way that they look or because of the personalities that they have?
2: I think, I mean, it's a bit of both. It's the same reason I love cats. Cats (laughs) are beautiful, but all of my cats have very, very different personalities. And that's really what I love about them is their personalities. And I like watching the birds... As a, as a stand-up comedian, I spend a lot of time looking at people and wondering mm. what their lives are, making up backstories for them. And it's the same with the birds. So we've got a field fair in the garden that's quite solitary and chases all the other birds away. You know, you start <laughs> thinking about them and, and I love their personalities and I, I love the different ways that they fly and the different ways that they move. And I love the blackbird that sits at the top of the tree and sings at the top of its lungs. So it's both.
0: You mentioned fieldfare. I like. I think fieldfare are absolutely gorgeous. They're a sort of thrush-looking bird, and they've got that same speckled uh, breast like a song thrush, but they've got a really stark grey head and very much like that classic winter bird. I think that's so exciting. But they're not really the classic. Garden birds, so did you know what they were when they started turning up, or did you have to teach yourself the different species i absolutely
2: taught myself one of the most exciting things, and it 's difficult to explain to people who've never had the thrill of seeing a bird that they don 't know what it is. Mm. But when the field fair first arrived, and it well, the first field fair we had was a couple of years ago in the really snowy weather. And we have no idea what it is. And and field fairs can look quite different from each other. There's lots of different kind of... They can look quite different. So we spent ages taking pictures, looking up, and we realised that's what it was. And now we know when we see one. But the excitement when you first see a bird and you look up your books and you look up the internet and you try and find out what it is and then you realise what it is and you think, oh, I've not seen that before. It's a real thrill to see a new type of bird... In the garden in a way i think i've created an environment you want to come it's like having a party
0: (laughs) and people wanting to come to the party it makes me feel really good about myself well you're obviously putting on a good party we've talked about the food that you're putting out for them but what else are you doing for the birds in your garden we've actually just
2: demolished the whole garden because when we moved in it was all concrete so we've bulldozed it And so we've got a blank canvas now. The garden we're going to build this year will hopefully be a bird and butterfly haven where we can work in tandem with nature rather than making an imprint on it, try and make things better. So we're putting a lawn down but we're going to leave it quite wild because the bees and the butterflies like clover and daisies and so we're not going to have a Wimbledon style lawn we're going to leave it quite wild and we're going to sow some wild flowers for them we're putting up some trellising and we're going to grow berries raspberries and blackberries not really for us but for the birds because certain birds enjoy the berries and fruits so we're going to do mm. that and we're going to make sure that there's lots of bee and butterfly friendly flowers in the garden and a uh, bushes with the berries on it because the blackbirds seem to really enjoy eating the berries off the trees and we're going to mm. try and grow our own bird food i'm going to try and grow sunflowers so i can oh, have wow. sunflower hearts and just all of those kind of things but really making sure there's food for the birds in the garden so if we haven't put some out They can still get to the raspberries and the blackberries and
0: things like that. If that's got you inspired, I've got some
1: more advice for you. I think the first thing for me to say is I am not an expert in all of this. I'm an enthusiast. I'm a GP by trade, so my job is actually to see people rather than animals. But I think I might enjoy seeing animals more than people. This is Dr Amir Khan. When we got our house, it's been, I've been in this house now for about five years and our garden was, was just, there was hardly anything there really. So we did exactly what Susan's planning to do. We landscaped it and we made it as wildlife friendly as possible. And that was our aim right from the start. And it all starts right at the bottom, really, with the plants that you have, because you want to attract insects into the garden, and that is the building blocks, really, for it all. Uh, and it was trial and error. I don't want to say I ended up with this beautiful garden perfectly; and there was nothing wrong. Loads of plants died in the making of my garden. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> so, uh, so it was trial and error, and I don't think you should let that stop you. You know, when when things go wrong, things go wrong. It's fine. You know. When, when you see people on TV or when you hear things, you, know, you think, oh, well, they're experts. I don't have those skills, so I can't do that. And, and often people think that when it comes to gardening or anything like that, but Actually, you don't have to have the skills. You can read about it online, you can read about it in books, and you can just find what works best for you. And all these people who are on the telly and and say, look, this is brilliant and look how amazing that turned out. There'll be lots of things that didn't turn out so well for them either. But I think we have found the balance between right and wrong now. So lots of insect friendly plants and think about when they're going to come up. So this time of year now January is is really good for things like aconites and snowdrops and things that will attract wintering or early bumblebees and things that might need nectar. So think about the time of year at which your plants are going to come out and, and kind of do it do it that way. And think about, oh, well, what kind of insects do you want? Do you want pollinating insects? That's what I think is, is the best thing, really. And we need to provide spaces for our pollinators uh, because they do use our gardens to feed and rest and that kind of thing. And as more and more of their kind of turf gets taken away, they rely on, on our gardens for those kind of things. So it is important. Um, so I know... For, this is a really common plant and if you're if you're thinking god I'm I'm not a gardener but I do want to Want to uh, get some insects into the garden and and people often think about this as a weed but if you control it it is beautiful buddleia is absolutely gorgeous yes. it's gorgeous right maya do you have buddleia in your garden
0: yeah it's my favorite plant because it brings in all the butterflies I, i'm terrible at butterflies i don't know what any of them are but it brings all the butterflies in in the summer and i love it
1: yeah and verbena is another good plant that we we plant through the summer that that attracts lots of insects as well but really, when you go to the garden centre, because if I just list loads of plants now, if, again, when I, when I wasn't really into the gardening, they was like, well, what is a verbena? What is a buddleia? Go to the garden centre or wherever you get your seeds and look for that certified kind of, this plant will attract insects. They've usually got a picture of a bee or a butterfly on them. And, and so that will help you decide what to do. And so get the planting right and think about what's going to flower when and, and how it's going to support the insects. And then the other thing I did is dig out a pond, a really just not a massive pond or anything, but it, it, it was a pond and it was really exciting. And we dug it out and we filled it with water. and We just let it turn to, to into a nature pond. We did that one October and by the August of the following year, we had frogs coming just to hang out with us in the summer, which was really I know it sounds like a small thing, but when you when you've you know, when you've made that pond and you've created that environment and you see a frog kind of poking its head above the water, you it honestly is just fabulous. And ponds are great for insects and now I see little wrens kind of jumping around the pond and drinking from it and we've got newts there now and I had our first toad in the garden this year it was it actually it was only last week it was really early for it to be out and about but it was wandering round the garden at night So, yeah, really exciting. I can go on and on about this, Maya. Yeah,
0: I love it. You're so in (laughs) love with your garden. I love it. Um, One thing I was interested in particular is because it's National uh, Nest Box Week. And I was wondering if you had any advice for people about putting up nest boxes, the best paced nest boxes, how to encourage birds to come and live in the nest boxes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a real birder. We, we do have nest boxes up in the garden. And the first thing I want to say actually about nest boxes is you can get some really, really cool nest boxes now. They're not that those boring brown ones that you see in the woods and stuff. You can get like, mine have like shaped like a caravan. I've got a beach hut and like a, a little like American cottage kind of thing. And, and you get, them, they're really decorative and look beautiful in your garden. So as well as attracting birds into them and, and encouraging nesting, they're quite nice decorative pieces for you your garden as uh, as well. Uh, but yes, if you are going to put nest boxes up, and, and definitely you'd really think about it, they, they do need to be high up, uh, two to four metres at least uh, 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 up uh, above the ground. Uh, and in terms of the direction to put them in, north, east, between north and east is, is best because what you want to avoid is direct sunlight, rain, wind, kind of all those harsh weather conditions because when birds start nesting around February, March time, the weather is so unpredictable and we want to be able to protect them. So yes, I would I would do that. If, if you've got a good source of food and water close by, that will really encourage birds to come. And, and when you kind of see... Birds coming into your nest box. At this time of year, I mean, we've had a few inquiries in our nest boxes. Our blue tits are kind of looking at them and thinking, hmm, yeah, maybe that, that might, be, look, might look good. One of them went in and came straight back out. So I think that was a, a, a no. <laughs> I feel a bit like a real estate agent. We've got five nest boxes <laughs> across the garden. And I'm trying to say, look, it's a beautiful neighbourhood. You should really come here. There's plenty of food, loads of water. No one will disturb you. It's a, you know, uh, 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 but yeah, they'll make up their own minds, I think, in time. Last year, actually, and I was going a bit on a tangent. Last year, we have a drive and we have a, an electric gate at the end of the drive so our post box is on the outside of that electric gate and I'm, I'm I'm really lazy I hardly ever check the post and I'd left it a couple of weeks and I went to get the post and there was a great tit nesting in our post box oh, and it wow. had it had six eggs yes I'll send you the photos it had six eggs so I, I kind of like opened up kind of half asleep going oh I'll go get the post and then this great tit hissed at me <laughs> because they obviously didn't know what I was doing. And it did something incredible. It kind of fanned out its tail feathers over the eggs and hissed and I took a quick photo and then left it and then I put a note on the postbox saying don't post any more mail in here and all my mail went to my neighbors actually who are much better at getting my mail than I am so it was a win-win for everyone <laughs> so you know these uh, the, the, it, it'll be incredible you, you if you put nest boxes up you may not get something this year or the next year but once they get used to something and they get used to kind of it's safe and it's you know it's quiet and 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 that kind of thing then They will eventually find it. But you do have to kind of, like I say, you're a bit like a real estate agent. You've got to sell it to them, put food out for them, put water out for them, show them that this is a beautiful neighbourhood to live in.
0: I love what you were saying, because that was making me think about why, like, the nest box that we get birds in every year does. And I realised it's like the perfect prime real estate for blue tits looking for a nest box, because it's like, it's north facing, it's right next to the feeders, it's in a bunch of ivy, because it's very overgrown, and we haven't dealt with the ivy. Um, It's brilliant yeah
1: absolutely i
0: think like it's really funny what you're saying just cuz i feel like birds are so like simultaneously fussy and not fussy about where <clears> they put their um where they put their nest cuz like you say they want all the really nice stuff basically going on but at the same time they will pretty much stick a nest anywhere um like there's all the stories about birds making nests in boots that people have left out in the winter and things like that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. As much as we've got these nest boxes, we've also got wood pigeons nesting and, and, and if you I'm sure you've seen a wood pigeon's nest, it's literally about five mm. sticks put together. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got them nesting just, you know, in a bush very close out in the open almost. And I know wood pigeons are really common, but that doesn't make them any less spectacular and I love how like the mum and the dad kind of look after the the nest with wood pigeons as well. I thought it was just they, they were just really fascinating to watch and we've got a robin uh, that nests in our garden every year very territorial robin Maya. honestly if another robin even looks at our garden he will go mental so uh, (laughs) so but he's yeah he's kind of like the king of the garden i i think i'm his kind of foot soldier
0: (laughs) a big thanks to dr amir khan for those tips and that incredible story of the great tits nesting in his post box I've also been asking you to tell me what you've been up to and send in your tips. Abby, who runs an Instagram page called Bikes and Bird Hides, told me how she's making do without her own green space. Living in a block of flats means I don't technically have my own garden. In the shared common space outside, there is an established badly pruned elder tree that I've commandeered for bird feeders. I've noticed when it was laden with berries, it was full of birds. I've put three feeders up so far, One full of fat balls, which is guarded pretty much all day by a beautiful female blackbird, quite angry actually at times. Another has mixed seed in it, and our local gang of house sparrows demolish this daily. The final one has peanuts, which are popular with blue tits. However, they are taking quite a while to get through them. Shailish Patel said it's important not to forget to leave water out in winter
1: throughout the year. Water is very important
4: for them to drink. I would change. Occasionally, if the water is dirty.
0: And he showed us what the birds are living off during the cold months.
4: A uh, lot of other things that grow behind here, including ivy. Very important weather and fruit for berries. Very important for winter birds.
0: Ellie, who draws under the name Ellie Strations, told us what she's planting. I'm going to leave a section of the lawn wild and try and create a meadow area, hopefully bringing in more birds to eat all the insect goodies that I'm really hoping that that will attract. I have a bird feeder in the garden which is about three meters away from the hedge, so the birds are able to have a good clear view all around to watch for predators but they can easily escape to cover if they need to. I found that moving a feeder slightly every few days seems to encourage the birds to feed on the seeds Not sure why that is, but it works. Alison told us about the birds that have taken up home at her house in Hampshire. I don't know
5: if you can hear that bird song over the rain, but it's raining very heavily here at the moment. We've had blue tits nest in the eaves of our house, just above the windows upstairs, which has been really exciting for the children because it's right outside their bedroom. And we've also had wren's nest under our decking, which seemed a really odd place to nest to me because we get lots of cats in the garden and I was sure that nest wouldn't be successful but it was and the birds did fledge and I've seen a wren hopping around the garden again in the last week or so so I don't do anything special to attract birds into the garden other than we have some water out but just in some old cat bowls not in anything special and also we have areas of the garden that are just left I'd be lying if I said that was on purpose to attract birds. But I do know how important it is to leave an area of the garden um, a little less managed, shall I say.
0: Our last piece of advice is from Darwood Qureshi.
4: Hi there, I'm David Qureshi and I'm just on Portsmouth Beach at the moment, just come down here for my wildlife run.
0: He writes a wildlife blog called Wild Heart and he wanted to hear this sound in his garden. That's a chaffinch.
4: So chaffinches are beautiful little birds, a beautiful colour, tiny little things, and they have the most wonderful call. And I used to hear it every morning, and normally in the day as well as a kid, and I used to just wonder, what is it making that amazing noise? And I went through various sounds, stumbled a bit on the identification of it, but, came to the conclusion that it was in fact a chaffinch so chaffinches and like most small birds that you will attract to your garden they prefer to have a very secure very high up um, place to land whenever they're um, foraging for food or they're looking for anywhere to land so in terms of attracting them to your garden you should make them feel safe and secure and so you can do that by planting a lot of thick bushes and a lot of scrub and a lot of high-reaching plants, because what these do is they allow the bird to fly in to these thick bushes and to these more concealed areas, um, survey the area for any predators from a place of safety, and then go and get the food that you've put out for them, which means you can watch them in relative peace, knowing that they're not going to be startled or at least not going to be surprised by predators. And also insects, grubs, caterpillars, lots of winged insects. These are prime food for the birds. And even without putting out your own food, these birds will come straight to the garden if they know there's environments where there will be uh, lots of food for them. So these thick bushes and these high reaching plants are very good places for lots of insects to rest and therefore for the birds to um, be attracted to. That's about all for me, I think goodbye
0: a massive thank you to all of you for sending in those fantastic tips if you want to get in touch we're on social media at getbirdingpod darwood was talking about garden predators and one of the biggest predators of garden birds is cats so you might think that being a cat lover and being a bird person don't go hand in hand but susan kalman wants people to think again
2: We've got five cats. They're all indoor cats, I have to say, before anyone gets upset about the cats. The cats um, all have health problems, so they're all indoor cats. People seem to think it's a exclusive thing that you either like birds or you like cats. And as I say, my cats are all indoor cats. We have lots of cats in the area, neighbours' cats, that come into the garden Um uh, with little bells on them. And we make sure that the feeders are close to the ivy so the birds can make a quick exit. And mostly the cats are big dumplings and they don't do anything. <laughs> and I know sometimes people really dislike cats because they can sometimes attack the birds. But in the same way as we've got lots of foxes in the area, we've got a sparrowhawk in the area, which routinely oh, wow. tries to, you know, because it's it's, it's nature. And all I know is that my cats will not harm a bird because they sit quite happily underneath radiators all the time.
0: And I saw on your social media that the cats are actually helping the birds with their fur. Yeah, so we did a bit of
2: research because we've got five cats and there's a lot of hair. Mm. And uh, we'd read that as long as the hair isn't, treated with anything. So there's no flea treatments, there's no shampoos, there's nothing, you know, chemical. If you collect it and put it out for the birds, they'll use it in the nests. So we collect the hair all through the autumn and the spring and put it out when it's nesting time. Mm. And the birds collect it and use it in their nests. Oh wow. And it's a beautiful thing to think that the birds in the area have nests lined with our cat's hair. Um, and as I say, you need to look up and check if you can use your pet here because if you use certain chemicals on your pets, you can't use it. But our cats have, there's nothing. And the birds, I've seen the blackbirds fly off with big clumps of my cat Olivia's hair into their nests. <laughs> and again, it's just a way of trying to help them and and just being part of the cycle of nature around um, of putting things out for them. So we always try in nesting time as well to make sure that we're putting things out that could help them build their their nests. Um, and I just love, the, I love the idea that there's little baby birds, you know, um, being born and snuggling mm. into my cat here, It makes me happy that perhaps the cats aren't being seen in such a bad light for once.
0: <laughs> um, in each episode, we ask a guest to pick a bird that they love as our bird to watch, as the bird that people listening should be looking out for. So I was wondering your, what your bird to watch would be. I, do, I think I would choose the bullfinch.
2: Mm. I really do, because it is stunning. And usually seen certainly in my garden with um, his partner, Mr. and Mrs. Bullfinch, as I call them. <laughs> usually the two of them are together and i i I honestly the color the colors that nature produces is just extraordinary you know and never mind your 4k high definition television that the most vivid flashes of color can be seen from from the birds that could come into your garden and i just think that bullfinch the first time i saw it, i didn't think i'd ever seen that kind of color in nature before and it's just it's a brightness and a joy that every time they visit the garden i feel privileged that they've come back into the garden again so uh, having a look at bullfinches and if you've not seen one before if you look it up on the internet i defy you not to think it's a beautiful beautiful bird when you see it, because it really is gorgeous. So bullfinches all the way, I think.
0: <laughs> okay, slightly sillier question, but I was wondering also, like, if you were a bird, what bird would you pick to be?
2: I don't think there's any question. <laughs>
0: I think long-tailed tit. I'm
2: I'm quite small, and they always look a little bit, in a, in a really fluffy, like they've just got out of bed. They look kind mm-hmm. of like they've just come in from a long night out partying. The long-tailed tits (laughs) they look like they'd be good good people to know on a night out and i think i'd be a (laughs) long-tailed tit because they just they just seem like such a lot of fun um so i definitely think that's what i would be
0: Mm, i love long-tailed tits actually because i do um bird ringing which means that i'm able to handle the like garden birds and stuff basically oh, wow. and one of my yeah it's and um, one of my favorite birds to handle is a long-tailed tit just because like they're they're so small anyway it's ridiculous their tail is like three times the length of their body yeah but um when you hold them they're even smaller they're so fluffy they're absolutely tiny oh, wow. um and they have so much character as well like they they always try and act like they're up for a bit of a fight but they're too small to really do any damage <laughs> yeah, um, see, So that, that's, yeah. why,
2: that's why i'd be a long-tailed tit that's exactly why i'd be a long-tailed tit because people yeah. think i'd be up for a fight but actually i'm adorable so that's exactly why i'd be a long-tailed tit
0: A massive thanks to Susan, I loved speaking with her today, and I'm definitely going to be following her on social media to see how her garden develops. Now, we're going to finish today with Jason Singh, musician and nature beatboxer who you heard from last time. Today, he's talking to Fife Dangerfield, who founded the band The Guillemots. Fife's now released a new EP called The Birdwatcher, and he told Jason how birds and birdsong are part of his creative landscape.
3: Reports have been coming in that the musician Fife Dangerfield, apparently lost in some internal wilderness for the last six years, has finally resurfaced into public view. There's a new channel. Channels may change. And on it, a series of broadcasts called Birdwatcher. The source of ours asked Dangerfield how it felt to actually finish something. Finish, he replied. Nothing's ever finished. It can only ever be ready.
6: So there it is.
3: A man returns, though a man was never really away. People need to breathe, and people need to play. And channels, channels may change. Thanks for doing this. It's a pleasure.
1: I mean, the thing is for me, like, it's such a beautiful piece of work, you know, the the Birdwatcher EP, that I don't want to say anything really. I just want you to tell me about this, this beautiful piece of work.
3: Thank you. It's a selection of tracks from, I did this series called Birdwatcher. I basically started broadcasting them week by week and every week I was like frantically trying to kind of get every track to sound as good as it could by the time it was meant to be broadcast.
6: You're back on the box again And it's an
3: interesting way of working that because when you're really up against it you end up making decisions that you'd never make if you're just playing around in the studio.
6: something you've forgotten to say and Those snakes and ladders in the zoo. Not gonna let you through. You're old, what's new? You open your mouth and you're amazed at all the truths that saunter around. You've been finding letters in your soup. Saying you're a writer. And why did you call it
5: the
4: Birdwatcher? What's what's Where
3: does that come from? Just I've just been into it since I was a kid. My my folks uh I it was a program about the Farne Islands when I was about five years old in the school holidays was on, you know, and they do it was like a week. A bit like Spring Watch, I guess, but back in the eighties it was like a something where there was like throughout the week there was loads of live footage from, from the fine islands and i think it was one of those things that Mum was watching it and i just walked in and was like oh, what's this it's my five-year-old voice um and and Mum and dad had a sort of a, a bit of a, a bit of an interest anyway but that i then became interested in bird watching so kind of started becoming what we did uh as a family at the weekends we'd sort of go to Like, I grew up around Birmingham Way and there was various reserves around there that were good. So that's how it started, really.
5: So when you're hearing sort of a field recording or if you're out listening to birds,
6: how do they kind of come to you?
3: I just really, for as long as I can remember, like, sound is music, you know, like, I love that. So with birds, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing, you know, like the sounds they make and... Sometimes you want to directly use a bird song. I mean, I've got various samples where I've sort of, like, recorded a bird on my phone and, like, pitch-shifted it, and, you know, so you you get it to the point where you're hearing it as a melodic sequence and and all that. I think on Woe Life, at the end, you hear, like, oyster catchers and red shanks and things. Also, just stuff like if I'm recording with the window open and, you know, there'd quite often be birds singing outside... I remember I crashed out at the studio overnight and I was just sort of on the sofa and about five in the morning, this Wren was just singing so loudly, really near the studio window. And so I just sort of stuck the mic out the window and just recorded about 20 minutes of it. And I love that. yeah. Just the the, the Wren is almost just like this sort of punctuation point that keeps happening every so often. Like I say, it's just, it's just, it's just, a, it's just another form of music and it's kind of lovely because it's something I don't have any control over and when I'm making music generally you're trying to access the parts of you where you're not really in control anyway and you're kind of allowing yourself to be in flow it's just a great natural orchestra isn't it the rhythms in it I mean yeah I I love it
1: well man good luck thank you good luck I'm just going to ask you as well just, just for the birding fans Um, which track should we leave them with from the EP?
3: Well, I'd play Woe Life, uh, I think. Like I say, there are definitely some birds cropping up in that track. So, uh, yeah. Nice one.
6: Thanks, bye.
0: Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. We really want to hear from you about the birds you've been seeing. And for the next episode, we're looking for your stories on how birds are bringing communities together. We would love to hear from you. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at GetBirdingPod and you'll find me on social media at BirdGirlUK. I'm Myros Craig, also known as BirdGirl, and this is a Peanut and Crumb production with Seven Trent Water and Swarovski Optic. See you next time.
6: So here we stand before the arches Voltage in the fragments of our bones Close your eyes, you just got started Feel this Eureka us too. <laughs> Ravens turn a vivid yellow The mango's gone an awful tarry black And the things I thought I knew I wanted I've gone off for a smoke around the back Get one shot at this light Throw your way behind tight And I never want to die, but I will never want to die, but I will. So here we are, a family, and I can feel love surrounding me, us. So I ask the ocean, are we free? simply reply no guarantee